All right, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science Friends, in between. To science in between. I'm Scott. And I'm Ollie. Yeah. And this that's is Ollie. What, episode two of season three? It Look is it episode up. two. It's episode 106. But Look it's at episode us. two of, of season three. We are in our third season. And what did you say? This is, we're going on 80 hours of recorded. Yep. You've been with us for, for the, since the beginning. You've worked full two weeks. You have spent two weeks of your life with us. Two work weeks, 40 two hours. Work, I guess that's true for average yeah. work weeks. It's like, it's like you, a, J-O, it's like a job. Yeah. It's like a job. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Job. job. Hey, congrats. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. Congrats on your choices. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, maybe, maybe time to revisit that. Yeah. Maybe do some soul searching, some ref- some life yeah. reflection. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. Yeah. Well, you want to set this up, Scott? Yeah. So so I think what we're going to try and talk about today, one of my fascinations uh, as a person who teaches teachers is thinking about the parallels between how I or we think about teaching science and how we think about teaching teachers how to teach science, which sounds silly or strange or something. But I think for me, it's been a really powerful um, tool to say, what is it? Because I, I think for the obvious reason that you want to model the kind of practice that you want your 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 beginning teachers or your or your teachers to to learn, um, but that can be tricky because I'm teaching people how to teach, not teaching people science, and we sometimes get around that by doing these you know exemplar lessons where we teach science as if we were teaching kids science and the pre-service teachers or the or the in-service teachers act as students in that context. But you can't do that all the time. Um, and you can't run your whole class that way as a teacher educator. So what we were thinking about is how do you help people learn something, um, a practice that you want them to do when you're not actually doing the practice, which I think is just an interesting question for me. So, And, and we're kind of piggybacking off of where we ended up last episode when we were talking about observations, where you threw out right. these two questions that you're using to actually drive a research study with your students, right? Some, you know, some, yeah. a, some teacher re- inquiry, some teacher inquiry, which is cool. And I got to see some of that data last week, which is really neat to see. Um, but the questions, you, you want to frame those questions again so that so that we can, if the folks didn't catch the last episode, which they should, go back. Which, and, yeah, go back and listen to that. Yeah, it was powerful, a real, it was, powerful. It was powerful. Episode. It was, that, that, I think there were actually people who called into the show weeping. Right. There were uh, tears. Because there were tears. Yeah. yeah. There um, were joy and, and sadness. Joy and <laughs> sadness. <laughs> The, comp- the competing emotions that this show always brings out in people. Yes. Joy and sadness. <laughs> sadness. Joy. Sadness for a whole different reason. Than... <laughs> and they're like, wait, I think what, the self-deprecation is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we never run out of it, do we? No, we do not. <laughs> no. Self-immolation. It's our, yeah. it's our hobby. It's our MO. Um, so, yeah, basically... What I've been asking my pre-service teachers to do is um, they're they're in their first experience in a classroom uh, on a regular basis. So um, they're in schools and they're working in and with kids, not in. They're working in and with uh, kids in classrooms. 
Um, and they're, uh, they're observing, but they're also interacting with kids. So they're not just sitting at the back taking notes. They're talking with kids during, during class. But what I've asked them to do is um, make observations while they're doing that. We've been very specific about that in the same way that and we'll talk about that too in terms of science. Um, what an observation means in this context. And then they have to answer two questions about that observation. So what is the message communicated about the classroom community by this thing that you observed? And what is the message communicated about science as a practice? So I'm trying to help them start to think about how teacher actions and student actions um, create norms in a classroom. And, and there's two kind of norms that I'm interested in. One have to do with the general how does this classroom operate norms? And sort of embedded in that is this question of what are the norms of science as a practice? Like, how do we think about science as a practice? And how do the things that a teacher does or ask students to do in a classroom, how does that how does that communicate to students what science really is as a practice? So those are the questions. And the, the one about community, I think, is broader than just like, you know, interactions. It's also about learning, right? It's about like how we engage in the process of learning and right. Right. I mean, because that's sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a message about, yeah. I mean, maybe even, maybe there should even be a third question that's more explicitly about what does this communicate to kids about what it means to learn something. Right. Um, which could be embedded in this in this community claim, but could be separated out because, yeah, a, certainly a theme of this show is that um, we think about how do you think about learning using different theoretical lenses, um, yeah. specifically more sociocultural lenses on learning. So, yeah, I think that could be a really interesting addition to focus but I think, on learning. I think what what what's neat about that. And I think I read in the community probably because the same way you read in the community, because we both see learning as, you know, relational work, Mm -hmm. but it's not always modeled that way. Right. Like it's not always observed. And I think that if we're going to apply these things to teacher education, to, you know, teacher education, pedagogy. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think about the, the things, how I communicate teaching and, uh, it, you know, this is so meta, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> that, it's, a, it's almost hard to talk about. Right. I know. That's where I was pausing. How we teach teaching, right? That's right. the that's yeah. the hard part about like talking about this is the pedagogy of teacher education. I think probably is the best, safest way to say this without like, yeah. you know, putting turtles on top of turtles, right? Yeah. It's turtles um, all the way down. Yeah. So I think <laughs> I think about my practice in my classroom and what I communicate practices I try to communicate. And I guess that's mm-hmm. the interesting thing Yeah, is what I'm hoping to communicate and what my students are actually experiencing. Yeah. Cause you could do the same sort of observations at the teacher education level. Right. And so you could, it could become very meta. You could say, what are you as a teacher educator doing? What are you observing? And what does that have on a, uh, what kind of message does that communicate about community and how, what message does it communicate about teaching science as a practice, right? Instead of science as a practice. So it, it, you very easily could skip these up a level and, and use it as a way to analyze teacher education context. Well, I mean, I think for me, one of the things that, and I, I think I've mentioned this in, the, in one of the, um, one of the episodes is that the, you know, the book, uh, you know, Laven Wanger's, you know, book about legitimate prefer- peripheral participation, that, that yeah. book, mm-hmm. um, 
is is sort of like one of those driving things for me in terms of how it informs my work. And when I'm teaching teachers, I'm trying to get them to not only develop some of the practices of our craft practices and also the evidence behind those things. Like, like why do we do these things? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also trying to model it, right. To show them this is how, and then also unpack why I'm modeling what decisions I'm making to do that. Mm -hmm. And lastly, it's the the language, right? There's a, a language of the craft that I'm also trying to teach, right? It's yeah. like we have to use, we have to talk about this stuff in a way because this is the way you become a more legitimate per- participant, right? Is yeah. that you use the language of our craft mm-hmm. and that you don't do it by saying, well, I'm just going to give out, you know, these slips, you know, yeah. I'm going to do this. No, you're going to do a formative assessment that's going to assess students' prior knowledge. That's a way of, way, you know, talking about something, you know, right. that teachers talk about it, that other people outside of the field may not. Right. You know? But and and this has an exact parallel to science, right? Which right. is to say there is specific terminology that defines science as a practice. Um, that is often how we think about science knowledge, right? The canonical ways of characterizing science. And so in the same way in teacher ed, what we're trying, what I'm trying to do here with this, with this making observation thing is I'm trying to help my students develop concepts before they put a label to them. So start to describe things in terms of actual things they've observed and then say, oh yeah, that thing that you've been observing, that that has a name that that's principled and disciplined improvisation. That's what you've been doing. And they're like, whoa, that sounds Ah. much more impressive than just like I was talking to kids about their ideas. (laughs) Um, So, so this idea, yeah, I think is, is again, we're building up the concept first and then putting the label to it later because the label only means something if the concept exists. Otherwise it just covers up understanding. Um, but I think one of the one of the things that I, I just mentioned to my students recently that I think is also a challenge with this kind of teaching is both in the science classroom and in the teacher education classroom is is really what you're doing or what I think of myself as is a learning environment designer. Right. Which which is to say, I don't think of myself as a teacher. And it's not that I don't, quote unquote, teach. It's not that I don't tell my students things in class, but there's also a lot of the time that we are together where they're either talking to each other, they're talking to their mentor teachers, they're talking to kids. And so what I'm trying to help them understand too is in the same way that the science classroom mostly involves kids talking to each other with the occasional debrief and and larger whole group conversation led by the teacher and so on and so forth, that a good teacher education environment should look like that too, that it almost should look like I'm not teaching, right? So if my if my administrator, which they don't really do this, but if my teacher ed administrator, if my dean came in and saw what was going on, they might say to me, hey, you're not even really teaching. You're not teaching today, yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, yeah, I spent 15 years developing this context so that my pre-service teachers have a place to come and do this work. And they have great mentors who actually mentor them and they have this structure that allows them to work with me and to work with kids. And the, you know, all these things are intentional and took long periods of time to develop um, because what I'm really thinking about is the whole learning environment. I'm not thinking about what's my lecture for the day. Right. Um, so that, that changes things. Well, what I try to do in, in my class, I think is 
you know, create those environments where people can talk and, and, and I'm been somehow I came up with a sort of develop this use of the word workshopping, right? Where I don't even know if it's a word. I don't even know. I just started using it recently to describe an activity that I have students do is when they, because my students are out in the field, you know, three days a week and they come back on campus two days a week. Um, it's the way we we try to manage a uh, a professional development school with the size of school. Uh, uh, our program, our secondary program is, you know, a hundred plus students across five or six different content areas, um, which is would be hard in a single school. Right. It would just be it would be impossible. Um, and so they're distributed across a bunch of buildings and then they come back on campus for a couple of days a week. And I'm trying to, like, foster reflective practice with them. So I try to create a safe community, excuse me, a, a safe community for them to be able to talk about their successes and their failures and the things that they would do differently and why they would do, do differently. And like fostering that conversation and using, I don't know, I, I call like I, I do these like mini lectures, you know, like where I go, okay, here, let's talk about this. And this is the, mm-hmm. the research, the evidence behind these practices. And these are what, and then, you know, have you seen these practices in your class? And, you know, this week, this coming week is, is a culminating activity that's, you know, we're like the halfway point of the semester in this class. Cause we do mini masters um, and they are supposed to be have collecting things and bringing them in and talking about these things that they were supposed to try with their students. My hope is that, this workshopping activity is for them to talk about the successes and failures to, to foster that reflective practice in a very safe space so that they can learn from each other and also in, inform their own practice right? Mm-hmm. and say, yeah. okay, you know, cause it's all about, you know, I think reflective practice is one of those things that is critical for the success of teachers. And it's, it's something that it's, it's one thing to say, but it's like not a place that we model or a place that we foster. Like we don't create space for that typically. You know, we try to do it in, you know, when someone's out in a field experience, you know, we'll, you know, if you're like supervising, you know, somebody who's doing student teaching or some sort of field experience, we try to say, okay, well, what would you do differently? And we're trying to foster the reflective practice, but I want to have that be out in the open so that we un- unpack it so we can, you know, see what that looks like and also talk about the bumps and bruises and warts and things that we do, because, you know, those are the things that we all, we all had lessons that, you know, mm-hmm. totally failed. And that's the kind of thing coming back to, you know, I know I'm being long winded here, but coming back to the, the your situating, you know, questions is mm-hmm. what does it say about like teacher education pedagogy. It's that we are trying to, as much as possible, at least in my class, one of the things that I'm trying to make those invisible processes, those critical invisible processes visible and out Mm -hmm. in the open in a safe space Mm -hmm. where we can talk about these things in a way that we can learn from each other so that maybe they can misstep some of the failures that someone else Mm -hmm. has, you know, I mean, I mean, at least that's the intent, you know, right. And you know, this, the the community that I'm trying to, you know, create is one in which, you know, we are, you know, because like if I think about what would be like at, at my school, like if I was mm-hmm. teaching in high school and next door to, a, uh, you know, another you know science teacher, I'd be like, hey, I just tried this lesson. It was a total failure. <laughs> or, hey, I yeah. just tried, tried this lesson. It was a total success. Because when you have those moments, you're trying to, you, you want to talk about them. You want to share that with them. Maybe, the, you know, and the more we can model that sort of 
you know, communication, that community of, of sharing and learning, that it becomes less of an individual private activity and much more of a, a public one. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if yeah. any of that makes sense. Any of it does. Yeah, it does. And, but not, but, and what I'm trying to do, I think here is reframe that process a little bit into thinking about it, you know, again, in terms of a parallel of the science, which is what's the purpose of all that work? Well, the purpose of all that work is to develop a model. So in right. the same way, um, what I'm, as you would do in science, we have this phenomenon that we're trying to understand. And that phenomenon is science teaching. And so science teaching is a thing that happens and we can observe it and we can take notes about it and we can start to make inferences about it. Um, and towards that, we can start to build a model because I think one of the challenges, there's a couple things in what you're talking about that I think are challenges. So the first one is this idea of reflection. I think reflection is, you know, there's a long history of research about reflection, um, but I think it's sometimes hard to get pre-service teachers to understand what it means to really reflect on practice because they don't really understand practice very well. So right. getting them to like reflect on it is very difficult. Um, so I think reframing this as how do you build a model of teaching and we're doing this as a group. So there, it's not so much reflection, at, though that's part of it, but you're looking back at observations you made in class to try and improve the model. Where are the areas of the model that we don't understand? Where are the areas of the model that we have observations that we can support with and that that those act as evidence to support a, a model for this stuff. So that's the first thing. And, and then the second thing I think is that it can get, get them past the evaluative language, because this is the thing I struggle with my students too. Um, you know, we're debriefing a lesson. The first thing they want to say is, Oh, I really like that lesson. Or right. I really liked what Ollie did in class today. And it's like, I, and I say to them, literally, I don't care if you liked it or not, because that's yeah. not what we're here for. What we're here for is to understand what Ali did and the impact of what Ali did on the classroom community and on science as a practice. Um, and so that reframing a little bit gets them away from this idea of like lessons are good or bad or you like them or dislike them. It's about how did what we see help us better understand teaching as a practice and and therefore, it's, it shifts them into this more um, empirical frame of mind and does the same thing that it does for, for kids in science classrooms. Because we're always talking about in, in science classrooms, we want kids to talk about the ideas, not about the person. Like, I don't, Ali's idea is dumb, is an unhelpful, unproductive uh -huh. way to talk in a science classroom. But here's why I think Ali's idea isn't supported by the evidence. That's a totally different thing. And and then eventually that becomes shared. So um, so I think I'm trying to do that in the same way. I'm trying to say, look, your job as a community is to build this model together to to help you all better understand teaching as a practice, so that when you go away from here, you have that to build on. I think that. So I'm going to talk about challenges in a second because there's some definite challenges to that. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the first thing is when you talk about the the liking or disliking, I think that we we have to break that in so many spaces with our our students, and you know, because like we give them an article or something or a chapter to read or or something to come in and discuss, and the first thing I would do is they they want to engage with that. I, I really like that article. It was you know it was great, right? You know, and trying to get them to en engage with things rather than from an, an opinion standpoint where with a like and dislike but to to really get them to to critically engage with that is it is a different process that we have to make explicit for them um 
I think the other part, though, probably the part that's most challenging with the work is that while we're doing this work with our students, our future teachers, we're not doing it in isolation. Mm. Yeah. Right. We're doing it in um, sort of like the, you know, the trajectory of their life as learners and as future teachers, you know, that whole apprenticeship of observation stuff that we've talked about before, but we're also doing it in the same sort of space where they're taking other education classes where other folks are telling them something different. Like one of the things that, um, you know, in most teacher education programs in the state of Pennsylvania, there's a, a requirement that they take, you know, some English language learning classes, you know, so that they can work with students who have, you know, are coming into the classroom, not with English as their, their first language. Emerging bilinguals. Emerging bilinguals. And, um, or, and they also have to take some classes for special education. So how they can differentiate in their classroom and they can modify lessons to, you know, reach a, you know, diverse population of learners. Um, they're not looking at it from a science teaching perspective. They're not looking mm-hmm. at it from, Hey, here's how we teach science in a, you know, in this sort of like, you know, community way. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not being critical of any yeah. of their the pedagogy of those, it's just different pedagogy mm-hmm. because it's so in a way we're like throwing so much at our students, not only in terms of like the actual, you know, pedagogies we're teaching them, but also in how it's being modeled in our classrooms. Cause I think about, you know, whenever, so I have some students right now uh, in my class who have me and then they have two other colleagues who are like, basically we're all cut from the same cloth. Right. I mean, it's like, it's, it, they are getting a coherent, you know, modeling of pedagogy in terms of that, you know, that is relational work that you learn by interacting with folks that, you know, it's group meaning making. However, there are some of my students who have, you know, people who are modeling something very different than that. Sure. And that's the challenge is that as a, you know, as a, emerging teacher, beginning teacher, um, that they're going to be barraged with this and they have to make sense of that. And so, but I think arming them with these questions may be a really good way of helping them, you know, sift through some of that stuff. Yeah. Well, and again, I think there's analogies to science teaching in science classrooms, right? Where right, oh, absolutely. You know, if we do this kind of pedagogy, if we do science as a practice kind of pedagogy in the science classroom, well, kids go off to their other classes and that's not happening. They're getting more traditional forms of instruction. It's like, well, wait a minute, why are we doing that in here? Like why why am I not doing and then eventually, I think they just come to terms with, well, their their rationale is, okay, well, that's the way science is. And then the other classes are this other way. Um, but it is, you know, both in the science classroom and in the te- science teaching classroom, um, you are fighting against the culture that exists, both right. the culture of what learning means and the culture of how school works and the culture of of what teaching is as a practice. Like you have to fight all those battles as a teacher educator on multiple levels, that whole meta piece of, you know, no matter what conversation you're having, you're always having a conversation about what happens in K-12 classrooms and what happens 
for the students, what the students in those classrooms should be doing, what the teachers should be doing, and then what you have to do as a teacher educator to create those contexts. So that that constant level, you know, three level problem, um, as has been described, is is a complication. And then the other one that you mentioned that I think is important uh, is the the sort of two worlds problem. So you have the the, not only do you have the apprenticeship of observation, so you've got this long period of time where kids get enculturated into what school means, you also have the problem that in most teacher education contexts, the university and the school are very separate to each other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The university's over here, and you they teach you all this AST stuff, and then those kids go into the classrooms, and the teachers are like, eh. Don't we don't do that, that here. We got to do lesson plans. We got to do this thing, and here's the here's the. I'll give you all my lesson plans with all the PowerPoints and you'll be great and don't worry about it. Um, so I think that's the other thing that is in the mix here for me is, is the, you know, the reason I've worked so hard and so long to develop this context is because I needed a place for my students to see this teaching being done and a place where they could actually interact with it. So this, this lab school notion, which goes back to like John Dewey, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. Um, and and his work at uh, the University of Chicago, um, which is you know transformative work, and I'm I'm ashamed to to I forget the he had a female colleague um, when he was doing this work yeah. at the University of Chicago. We talked about this before, but we did. Um, but I don't. I'm not remembering her name, Mary. Uh, I'm ashamed of that because I should remember. But anyway, um, that idea that like one like you need to create a place where you where your students can be engaged in the kind of pedagogy that you want them to engage in and to see it uh in front of them um so that they can see master teachers doing this kind of work and that's very that's a very difficult context to create i certainly recognize that right like it's it's just not the kind of thing that everybody can do it's it's hard and it's especially hard to get it going um and have it happen at one you know for a whole group of people at a school usually this this um this kind of innovation in pedagogy tends to happen on the individual basis so one or two individual teachers at a place will start doing this stuff um but seeing seeing whole a whole um group of teachers doing it together that's a very different thing so um yeah i think i think the complexities of this um i i find fascinating and really cool um and and it's one of the things that I love about my job is is how I get to think about about these kinds of issues. This like how do you create an environment for science teaching that is like um, a, a model is a parallel is a meta version of what happens in science classrooms. So I think I was I was googling while you were you know, googling. I was googling. I think it's Mary Hill Swope. Does yep. That sound sound yeah, right. Yeah. See, I knew it was Mary. I at least got that much. Yes. Mary Hill Swope. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she, she, she essentially ran the school. Um, and, and I think John Dewey was sort of a participant in the process, but, um, but that well, idea, I will, I will say like I Googled, you know, John Dewey, you know, female colleague, and I came up with some, some hits that were not that, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I think sure. in 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 the era he was probably a I mean, he's renowned person in his field. Um sometimes that comes with um some some dark backgrounds, right? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly um certainly the the lab school 
that he takes credit for. Um, there's been, I mean, I don't know what else is in the mix there, but, but certainly he, he, I don't know if he takes, but he is given credit for the, for the lab school at the university of Chicago. And it clearly was, um, at best a collaborative effort. And maybe he had very, you know, was a relatively minor player, at least in the, in the day-to-day actual workings of the school. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, we're not here to, Bash on John Dewey. Um, maybe that's maybe we could put that on an episode. Yeah, that's <laughs> no. a, that's a more complicated. Uh, story. Yeah, we have to do some research. There. Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> two old guys bashing another old guy. Yeah, that sounds like fun. That sounds well, sh- shakes shaking fists. That's shaking great. Fists at other old men. <clears throat> yeah, sorry. I just I just wanted to include that because I I I really hate like whenever someone's work goes invisible. And so um, I wanted to make sure that we can swing back and include her in this conversation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah. Where were we though about? Well, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, how, you know, our, our practices are not um, in isolation. And, and I think that for you, I think that the, the benefits of you creating this space which is kind of like a mini lab school for your students to see this stuff in, in, you know, an actual practice. So it, it kind of closes that divide a bit between what you're talking about. Cause you're not actually talking about it on campus. You're, you're teaching these classes in schools, right. you know? So you're, you're teaching it in the space in which they're, they're seeing. Cause I, I mean, that is a challenge. That's one of those tensions that is always apparent is that whenever we, we are saying, okay, this is what I, I want you to do, or this is what you should be doing. Right. We're trying to give them some sort of like pedagogical, techniques and some evidence behind that, then they go out in the schools and they may not see it modeled or they may not see it modeled in the same way that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Or that might even be something that is assailed against like AST, you know, ambitious science teaching. They're just like, yeah, we don't do that here. Or, you know, we actually teach science here. We don't do that. You know? Um, And those are things that are, 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 are real challenges. And I think it comes back to, how do we foster innovation? How do we foster, how do we do that? How do we create a space for reform? Um, because when they go out, there's a normalizing practice, right? So like, because uh, what we're going to talk about is something that may be some, a little bit more reform-minded. I'm using that term for some reason, I don't know why, but, um, but then they're going to go out in the schools. They're going to see something that may fit in most cases, the practices that they're more accustomed with. Right. Right. And, and and I think what I'm trying to do, at least with these questions is get them to think about and develop a set of principles that can help them think about teaching at a deeper level than, than I think they typically do. So what that would, you know, cause, cause, Later this semester, some of my students are going to go go into other classrooms that are that are more traditional. Sure. Right? And so one of the things I want them to be able to do is is make observations there, but also make the same inferences about what kind of what does this say about the classroom community to the students? What does this say about science as a practice? And that gives them a framework to compare. So not to just say, I like what happens here and I yeah. don't like what happens there, but to say, Actually, the reason that I I'm what I'm seeing is is not agreeing with me. Like there there's some fundamental dissonance for me. 
is that what this person is doing is creating a classroom community that is like this. And I don't want a classroom community that's like this. I want a community that's like that. And so being trying to develop that tool set um, of what kind of classroom environment do I want to create? And that goes back to your point about the terminology, because at some point I'm going to layer on some some fancy um, you know, teacher ed terminology about progressive discourse and about communities of practice and all this fun stuff. Some but, highfalutin language. That's right. <laughs> but but I'm not starting there. I'm starting with their observations and building that out and then using that to say, okay, well, how, how can we think about this in terms of principles that you can attend to? How do you, What does it mean to have a classroom where the teacher is more curious rather than judgmental, right? We've talked about that as a, as a tension in classrooms. But but that's easy to just say that, but to say, what does that look like? What choices are they making? What do they do? What are observable behaviors, things that they do or that they ask kids to do that you can peg to? Yeah, that makes a classroom where that's more focused on curiosity versus judgment. Okay, well, let's let's think about that and really dig in and be clear about what that means, that completely, I, I hope, changes their ability to engage um, with teaching practice, both others and their own. So let let me change the focus just a little bit. Um, have you thought about giving your students these questions about you? No, I mean, I think that's interesting, though. I think the challenge might be, especially at this point, is it might be a distraction because they're just starting to learn how sure. to do it in science classrooms. But I hear what you're saying, and it, it goes with the with the thread of today's conversation, which is right. like the meta. Um, it, it might be an interesting thing to do at the end of the semester to go back and say, hey, can you observe or can you recall some of the things Um yeah, I guess that would be my worry is is that it would distract them, but maybe maybe not. Yeah, because I'm thinking about like, you know, incorporating that in my, you know, like I said, I'm like about the halfway point for this mini master that I'm teaching. Um, and I, I wonder when I can incorporate that conversation and if and how to how to frame it or how to set it up in such a way that it's it's a safe space because what if they're like, well, you know, you know, because there's one thing about like how I'm seeing the lesson, right? right. And my intent. And it's another thing for how it's experienced for them as 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 students. Yeah. And and that's the the challenge. Cause I'd be i I don't want to get on the defense. I'm like, well, that's not what I meant to do at all. Like right. yeah, like yeah. Yeah. Well, you try it and you let me know how it goes. Okay, I'll, I'll report back. I, report I, I will back. I'll report back. Total well, catastrophe. It was the worst lesson of my they, life. They burned the whole thing to the ground. It, it would awesome. be very hard to have that be the worst lesson of my life because there are some really bad lessons. Some real that, dingers. Oh, yeah. yes. You know, where, you know, safety issues and, you yeah. know, yeah, getting called into the principal's office. Yes, those, yes, those types lessons. of – I mean, they were all like – good ideas at the time right <laughs> <laughs> that's such a teenager response it yes. seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> yes that is going to be awesome one yeah. of which was you know we had to completely clear clear out the swimming pool like yeah yeah i, I, okay. I mentioned i mentioned it like yeah. the swimming pool was unusable for <laughs> for days oh. as they cleaned it <laughs> 
It reminds me of that scene from Caddyshack. Do you remember yes. that scene? Yeah. It wasn't because of that. <laughs> baby Ruth. It's yes. a baby Ruth. It's a baby Ruth. Oh, yeah. I got into trouble for that one. Oh. It was a great lesson, though. It was a great activity. Yeah, it was. Of course it was. It was, awesome. was. So yeah. it was. It was fantastic. It was it worth was, the price. It was worth the price. But um, in hindsight, um, mistakes were made. <laughs> mistakes were made. I love the passive voice. Mistakes were made. <laughs> That's great. Well, that seems like a good transition to joys, <laughs> if ever there was one. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm going to try that. I Maybe mean, I'll do it uh, this week and see. Okay. If I don't know if it's a, a good place for it, but I think that oh. would be a good place to maybe. See what happens. It's an experiment. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah. Try it out. Experiment. Experiment. Probably. Like, It'll like probably work. It'll probably work. An experiment. Pro- pro- probably pro- work here in America. Pro- <laughs> probably. Probably an experiment. <laughs> I don't know where this stuff comes from. No, it's just, yeah, it's it's a sign of a diseased mind, I think. But yeah. there you go. Onward. We, yes, Joyce, I have I have. I know I you one. do. You I were do. bragging about it before the show. You, you were bragging, bragging you had two. Just, I had two, and bragging. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going uh, to, you want me to share? Yeah, I want you to share. You're, uh, I have been watching Welcome to Wrexham. Oh. Are you are you familiar with this? Because this would be right, yeah, this be yeah. right up your, you know, yes, right in your wheelhouse, right there. Yep. So, um, Welcome to Wrexham is a uh, it's sort of a documentary. Well, no, it's it's not sort of it is a documentary of uh, Ryan Reynolds and uh, um, Rob McElvaney. Rob McElvaney. Um, so you, everyone knows who Ryan Reynolds is, but yeah. uh, the Rob McElvaney might be a little harder. Not yeah. only to say, <laughs> yeah, Michael, Michael but, Haney, yeah, but but I mean, he is like he's the writer developer of It's Always Showrunner. Sunny, yeah. yeah, showrunner of It's Always Sunny, and a whole lot of other things. Yes, like this guy is is Mythic Quest, right? He's got a whole lot of things going on, and yeah. and he's quietly doing all of this stuff. And for the longest time, I thought he was the like the weakest link on on It's Always Sunny, and it, it's the reality is he's like the it, he's he's the core of the show. He know. is, and and. I will argue that after seeing him in several episodes of the show, he may be one of the smartest guys in the room in every room he's in. He just comes yeah. off as a lunkhead, you yeah. know, but That's he's his a character, yeah. right? It is. And he's a smart, smart guy. So yeah. this, the, the show is that they, they decide the two of them decide to purchase a soccer team, a football team in Wrexham in Wales. Yep. And um, this is a team that, you know, we could talk about, uh, relegation, but because they've done poorly over the years, they used to be like a. I, I don't know if they were a Premier League team, but they were certainly in the Maybe. higher, the you know the higher leagues. Um, mm-hmm. and then because they kept losing, you know, there's sort of like this hierarchy of leagues in in the football system, and so yeah. they're at one of the lowest leagues now. Yeah, and the third, I think. Yeah. Um. And. And so that's pretty far down. While it sounds like, oh, they're on the third league, it's yeah. like the third league out of like six. You well, know? it's like Premier League and then the Champions okay. uh, Championship, and then it's like League One, Two, National. Three. So they're like no, it's fifth. then the National. Then there's no. a na- isn't there a National League? Oh, the Champions there. League. You mean below Champions? Yeah. I mix up Champions League and Championship when I speak, but I know the difference between them. No, I think there's a third one in the top. Like okay. I think it's premier champion. They show this. They talk about this in in the, okay. in the episode. So I've I've I'm probably like you know six eight episodes in at this point, um, and it talks about their decision to buy the team, all the challenges that they face, all of the uh, experiences of the local community. I, I think that 
the great thing about this is one of the reasons that that uh, Rob McElhinney talks about buying the team is he grew up outside of Philadelphia, uh, outside of Philadelphia, actually in Philadelphia, but outside yeah. the stadium, not too far from the stadium where, where the Eagles play. And, and they go to his house and, and his boyhood home, which is like, like really a shack. It's like, mm. it is someplace where you're like, okay, this guy grew up here. Yeah. I mean, that in itself is a success story, but then he talks about the, how important sports are to local communities like Philadelphia, like Wrexham. And, you know, you, you, you kind of think that that's, you know, just him talking, right? But the show is all about the community. You learn people. You learn about the people that are in the community. You see the – it's almost like they're reoccurring characters in multiple episodes because they are reoccurring characters in multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how this affects their lives. And there are folks who are, you know, uh, life and death and kids and, you know, illnesses. And you're learning about all these and the real people who are attending these games and going through this, you know, the ups and downs. It is like, these are, these are like family members of, not of, of the team. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so it's, it's good television. And my wife, who's not particularly, you know, that sports minded. I mean, she's somewhat sports minded. She's just like, this is great. This is really yeah. great stuff. And so while, you know, we, I think we're all on that Ted Lasso high. I've never met somebody who didn't like Ted Lasso. It is not Ted Lasso, but it is Ted Lasso adjacent because mm-hmm. I think that you get the a really good experience of why teams, especially, you know, football teams in, in the UK and, and most of Europe, actually in most of the world are important and why, you know, yeah. and, and, and while we have that sort of fandom here, um, in America for our sports teams, I don't know if it's the same. And yeah, yeah. well, it's I, I don't know if it is either. I mean, it's certainly different uh, in the way it's expressed, but but there, but historically, I mean, it it is hard to compare, right? I mean, the the Wrexham, I think Wrexham is the third oldest football team in in England or in sorry in the United Kingdom because they're not in England. There, how many countries are in this country? I four. four, four. That's a Ted Lasso line. Sorry, how many countries are in this country? Four, four. Well, um, they have the they have the oldest stadium in all okay. of professional football. Yeah, they started in 1864, Wrexham as a team. Um, so or as a side, as they would say in England, in oh, in the UK, I did it again. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, check it out. It's great. Um. Yeah. Welcome to Wrexham. You'll enjoy it. Okay, mine will be quicker um, because mine doesn't have much backstory to it. It's just a thing. So uh, a thing that I've been doing. So a thing that I've been doing is um, I've been working on a house project at my house. And so it's been bringing me joy. Um, It also brings me a lot of pain and suffering, but I enjoy the two in tandem with each other because it's, you know, it seems like productive we often talk about as academics how we like to have um, things that we do that are more uh, that manifest in the world differently than than the rest of our work. I know, for example, you like to make ice cream and cook. I like yeah. to cook too. Um, but I but I have taken on the project of building a new deck onto the back of my house, um, and I have been working on it. And for for a month and a half, I basically made no progress. I would just stare sadly out the window and look at it saying, wow, I really should get together uh, on this and get working on it. 
Um, but in the past couple of weeks, I've made some real progress. So I just feel like that's a joy lately that I look yeah. out the back and I'm like, hey, actually something's happening there. I might actually be able to stand on this deck before winter comes. Um, we'll see. I'll report back later. But I will say it's a joy to do something with my hands and my brain that is physical and has a manifestation in the world that I can look at and say, yeah, that's a thing I did. So that's cool. I'm just going to have that as my joy for this week. Yeah, it is, it is cool to do things that are much more immediate. and You get to see the impact mm-hmm. of the work more immediately. That's, yeah, for that's sure. cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we did it again. Yeah. Look at us. Episode two, season oh. three in the Woo-hoo. books. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Look at us. Patting ourselves in the back. Yeah. We'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. Bye now.